Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be doing our spring preview show. So we've each picked eight books that we're going to talk about that are coming out this spring. So our parameters were March 20th through June 20th uh, for looking at these books. I came up with so many. I had, I think first I just went through things that just looked interesting and then I pared it down to things that were really interesting and I was at 45 books. So getting down to eight books, it was, it was difficult, but I just focused on things that I was super excited about that I said to myself, if it could materialize in thin air right this second, I would start reading it. So those were the eight. (laughs) I like that bar. Still had to leave a lot off. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, test. Right. I tried to visualize what we do when we have guests on. We tell them they have 25 bucks and they can buy one book. So times eight. Yep. So also Um, on this show, we're going to announce the winner of our giveaway. We'll have our regular what we've been reading, some book news. So we have a full show. I I have to say I cheated on this. I actually have one from March 2nd. (laughs) (laughs) It's beginning to feel like spring. So I figured I could sneak one in that's coming out this week. Okay. We'll let that slide. Okay. There have been some nice days. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you tell us what we, what you've been reading? All right. So the book I want to talk about on today's show is The Push, which I know is a very hot book this winter. The Push by Ashley O'Drain is about a woman who has a baby and she is hoping she's going to be a great mother. Her mother and grandmother were both very abusive and neglectful mothers. And she is committed to the fact that she's going to be a very different mother, very loving, very connected with her child, and she's not going to fall into that pattern. As it turns out, her daughter is very difficult to connect with. She's a very difficult baby. And as she grows, there is no emotional connection between the two. And in fact, her daughter seems to be evil. <laughs> it definitely has echoes of baby teeth, and it definitely has echoes of, we need to talk about Kevin. But it's it's a fresh take on it. So even though I've read both of those books, this didn't feel too repetitive or too derivative. It's really well written. It's the type of book, literally, once you pick it up, you can't put it down. I read this one in a day, which for me, was fast. Lots of good insights into being a mother and expectations that society puts on mothers and the effect that motherhood has on a marriage. It's just, it's just really good book. And she's just very well written. Ashley Audrain used to be a book publicist. You you can tell she's read a lot and knows a lot about writing fiction and at least in terms of promoting it and knowing what she likes. And it was, it was just a really good book. So that is my pick for what I've been reading. And then for what I'm reading now, I am close to the end of my dark Vanessa. Finally got to it. Ooh. Yeah. I'm such a mood reader. I've got all this new fiction and stuff I'm looking forward to and upcoming book club books and things like that. And yet I still was like, this is the time I want to read my dark Vanessa. So I'm almost done with it and I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I know you read it. So we can maybe talk about that on a future show. Yeah. I really like that book. Yeah. I don't know if I saw it around as much as I expected. It got derailed a little bit in the wake of, it was going to be an Oprah book club pick, but then they backed off of it. I think after she had a little bit too much drama with the Janine Cummins book. Right. Because there was a similar controversy around whether or not she had copied too much from another book. I think the author of the other book was either Black or Latina. I'm trying to remember. I think she was Latina. Latina. So there was the similar concern about why do, you know, white authors writing a book get so much more attention than Latina authors writing a very similar book with 
similar storyline. She apparently, Kate Elizabeth Russell wrote My Dark Vanessa over the course of like 15 years or something. So her response was, yes, I did read that book, but this is my this is a story that I've been writing for a really long time, but I think you're right that it, the book became a little radioactive and people were backing off from it. I think that's unfortunate in this case because the book was really good. And I think that it was something that was based in her own childhood. I think a lot of it was informed with what happened. But if I think about my dark Vanessa and I think about other books that I've read, details like that are similar. We do get a lot of white women who do get to tell these stories, but just in terms of whether it seemed like it was too much like one story or another, unfortunately, when it comes to grooming and sexual assault, when you're a minor, those details are similar. But there does need to be expanded access for writers of different backgrounds to tell these stories because they're impacted by them in different ways. Sometimes it's informed by their race or their culture or their socioeconomic status. We do get a lot of these stories from very privileged backgrounds. Because I was just thinking, even Lacey Crawford's book, which is excellent, is about this privileged boarding school in, I think it was New Hampshire. But a lot of these stories do come from privilege, I think, and they lack the aspect of what it means to go through this and to not have your voice heard in society. Women's voices are already silenced, but what does it mean to endure this and have these other cultural, racial, or socioeconomic burdens that you're carrying? Right. I would ask you what you're looking forward to that's going to be coming out soon, but I guess this whole show is about that. I can tell you my next read is actually my book club read, and it is The Bad Muslim Discount by Syed Masood. And Ooh, I've never heard of that. that. Oh, you've never heard of it? I think it was a, might have been a book of the month pick. It's supposed to be really good. I've read nothing but good things about it. So I'll report back. I'm going to probably start that on audio today. Did you listen to a preview of the audio? What pushed you to audio? Uh, just, it was available and, and I you also finished. have a print copy. I have a print copy. The audio was available. I just finished another book in audio. And so it was just seemed like a good fit. And I listened to a little bit of it last night, like maybe the first 10 minutes and I liked the narrator. So figured why not? How about you? I just finished a book, Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. So February, I took a break from alcohol. I know a lot of people do dry January, but I wasn't ready for dry January. So I did a dry February. And maybe the synchronicity of doing that, this book came on my radar. So I picked it up and I, and I read it. It's a lot about how AA is presented as the only choice for people who do not want to drink anymore or who are trying to become sober. And the fact that AA is Basically, it was written by privileged white men for other privileged white men who, for the most part, have had access to everything that they could imagine in the world, are basically masters of the world. So a lot of its terminology concentrates on getting rid of your ego. Holly Whitaker's book is about how that can be problematic for women because Basically, she makes the point that AA is trying to get men to behave as women are accustomed to behaving in society, not thinking of your ego, putting others first, being of service. And so she makes the point that women need to be able to trust themselves, need to be able to be autonomous, and they don't need anything that in their lives that's also serves to crush ego and serves to not let them live fully. Her book is a lot about <laughs> eye-opening facts about alcohol and just how detrimental it is to sleep cycles, to basically everything. She calls it by its name, which we don't think of it as. She calls it ethanol, which is basically what they put in rocket fuel. She has <laughs> this very extreme viewpoint of alcohol. You can make the case that there are many things that we ingest that are not necessarily good for us on a daily basis. You could probably make the same arguments for caffeine or sugar 
but it was very interesting to get all of that information on what it is doing to your body. She talks a lot about how 90% of sexual assaults are fueled by alcohol. Either one party was drinking or both parties were drinking some sort of combination. But she goes a lot into just as children, of course, we were not drinking alcohol to fuel all of our activities. So what is it like to be an adult and to reach for things that bring you joy or to participate in, in different things sober? It's it's a really fascinating book and it's this expose on AA and the principles that are involved in that, also a memoir and also like a self-help book in terms of finding your inner self, finding the activities that you really like to do. Like, what do you do if you don't have to have a drink to do it? As we record this on the last day of my dry February. <laughs> I don't think she's made the case for me. <laughs> it's very, ex- some parts of it are very extreme, but it's really good food for thought. So question for you, what's going to be your first drink tomorrow? I don't know that I will. Like, yeah, I don't know that I will. Interesting. <laughs> I may extend it for another month. In terms of being productive or whatever, I think just having a glass or two of alcohol just disrupts it disrupts sleep patterns. So, and she talks about getting it out of your system, how it takes a lot longer than you would expect. And I don't know, after a month of not drinking, especially now, it's not like I'm being invited out to bars or whatever, but just in terms of, I don't know, doing different things. I don't know that maybe I will have a drink tomorrow, but it's not like on my agenda. I'll put it that Mm -hmm. way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not like, I haven't been counting down, which I think is good. Yeah, that's very good. Because in the beginning, it is very weird to not drink. (laughs) So if the goal is to lessen that dependence, then you've done that. Right. Yeah. It can definitely now be more of a choice than, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to drink while doing it. Especially during the pandemic, I think it's been drinking in different circumstances has been normalized. Like I probably would never drink as much as I have alone in the past year, Mm -hmm. which I was like, that's got to (laughs) go. That can't be the default. Right. Right. (laughs) It's like work is finishing time for a glass of wine. So I had to pull back from that. Yeah. I find that if I drink in the evening or even with dinner, like I usually have just so many things I want to do after dinner. That's when I do my reading, my blogging, my TV watching, my crossword puzzling, my jigsaw puzzling, my hanging out with my kids, whatever it is. And if I drink, it will sometimes just, I just fall asleep. Yeah. And I need well, that those was the hours. Thing. I was like, I need, I need to do more things. Like we were talking about things that we want to do for this podcast. And it's like, I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't close out the day and have a drink because I'm not going to want to do anything but lay on the couch and binge watch something. So it wasn't even about the drinking itself. It's just like, okay, I've got stuff I want to do with my life and I've just got to shake this malaise or whatever. Right. Okay. So what are you looking forward to reading next? All right. So I just started a book called Raceless by Georgina Lawton. And I tell you, when when you think about fascinating stories that you come across from people, this woman, she grew up in... Uh, Her parents were or are white, like her dad was from London or England somewhere. Her mom was from Ireland. And so the first chapter, she just says that, look, my mom had had a relationship with someone when I was born. Like the nurse gave her cover by saying, oh, this must be her skin is darker because she has some throwback gene to whatever uh, was going on in Ireland at the time, like when there were darker featured people. And that is a gene that must have skipped generations. So she was raised with two white parents and no one around her, like her family did not acknowledge that she was a mixed race child. (laughs) So It is all about, I think she discovers all of this once her dad has died. And she has all of these questions when she's young that 
basically never get answered to her because in order for their marriage to go on and for it to survive, like when she was born, her dad accepted her, she was his, and that was that. And that was like what the family went with. Like they never diverged from that in any way. And then I think he he died of cancer and she's able to get the answers to some questions. She takes a DNA test and then she starts going to these different countries in search of just more about her Black culture, which has been denied her her entire life. And her mom, at least initially, is still reluctant to answer some of her questions. So I don't know if she will be more forthcoming going on, but like I'm just always fascinated by the different circumstances that people grow up in. All right. So that's the book I'm reading now. Okay. We're not going to go into like, we're going to tell you everything that we're looking forward to in a, in a little <laughs> bit. Right. But before we get to that, Gail, why don't you, we did a giveaway for Libro FM. You would get three months of Libro FM of audiobooks. Like, I guess you get to choose one each month as a part of a three month Libro FM membership. And Gail is going to let us know the winner. And luckily, we will let her know as we're recording this show. So she's not going to, this show won't air for a while, but she won't wait two weeks. She won't have to wait. Yes, two weeks. we'll let her know today. So our winner is Martha Dorfler. Dorfler, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but thank you for your comment. And Enjoy your books, courtesy of Libro FM. And thank you to Libro FM for partnering with us to do this giveaway. But before we move on completely for that, can we just talk about the fact that I got good recommendations from our giveaway? So I really like that. We will have to do more questions, more asking you what you've been reading, because some people have been reading books that I'm looking forward to, and I'm glad to see that they are enjoying them. Like Nancy was listening to Milltown, which I really want to read. I don't know if I will do that on audio though. Like some of these, I'm, I'm happy to see that the stories are good, but I'm just wondering, I always have that debate on, would this be better in audio? Like there's a book that I read le- recently, my last Libro FM read, uh, the Woman Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. I don't know if I would have liked that in print. Yeah, I think it's a decision everyone has to make. Some people can only read nonfiction and audio or can only listen to nonfiction and audio. Some people would much prefer to listen to fiction. Some people have particular narrators they like or don't like. So it's a, there's a calculus that goes into deciding whether a book is appropriate for you for audio and it's going to be different for everybody. And I find that lighter reads something... A lighter read, I will listen to more readily on audio than if I saw, because I think I looked at The, the Wife Upstairs in, when it was in print and I was just like, ah, I don't think I want to read this. But when I had the opportunity to listen to the audio, it was much more enjoyable to listen to it on the audio. So some of so Martha's pick was We Keep the Dead Close, which is something that is on my Kindle and I have been reading and reading slowly because it's on my Kindle, so I forget I'm reading it. Uh, Lindsay said, never have I ever by Jocelyn Jackson. She said she liked it a lot, which I'm happy to hear because I, I like Jocelyn Jackson. The thing about reading so many books is that it's so hard to keep track of authors whose book you like. And I knew she had written that. I think that's a bit of a departure from other books that I have read by her. So that was question mark in my head. Uh, someone read, was listening to Plain Song, which they pointed out that they heard about from, I guess, you mm-hmm. <laughs> on a the great podcast. Audiobook. Oh, such a good audiobook. And then uh, Megan is listening to A Knock at Midnight and loving it. And that was on my list. So I was very happy to hear that. So we need to ask more audience questions so that I can grow my TBR pile, which I don't need to do, but still it's a thing. All right. So book news. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had some book news, which was, why don't you talk about the article? So there is an article on Lit Hub and uh, this woman, Vanessa Willoughby, the title of the article, she says, why do we keep that? Why do we keep pretending that the time traveler's wife is a love story? So I guess HBO is working on making this into a series. Uh, It was already a movie with Eric Bana and who was Claire in the movie? Rachel McAdams, I think. Rachel McAdams. 
so I think that this was one of my issues that I had with a time traveler's wife is that I didn't think it was a romance. And I thought it was creepy because he meets her when he's so much older and their relationship is just so problematic. I'm excited that they're turning it into a series uh, because I think that all of the things that go on in The Time Traveler's Wife make lends it more. I think that there's a complexity in telling the story that lends itself to a series. You like the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I love the book. And uh, I thought the movie was true to the book and uh, represented it well. And I like the actors and I, yeah, I was a fan of the movie. I don't, and the book is more memorable to me. I don't remember the movie that well. There's a few scenes that I can conjure up in my mind, but it's not like the movie. I saw the movie after I'd read the book and I prefer the book, but I enjoyed the movie and I'll probably watch this too. Do you remember with the movie and maybe you saw this a while ago, but do you remember if you felt like that they, did you feel like they really got to treat all the complexities or did you, were you like wanting a little bit more? Or do you think they distilled it just right? Probably you liked it. So yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember how, like, how did they handle the age differences? Like in terms of makeup or casting different actors or actresses for the younger parts. I don't remember any of that. It is a complicated book. It's like most time travel books. And I've talked about this before. They make your brain hurt because you have to think so hard about, okay, wait, she's this old and what's what have they experienced together yet or so far? So there's definitely a lot of that that goes on, but I, I, yeah, I don't remember the sort of the, the intricacies of the movie well enough to answer that question. Right. So in this article, it is mentioned that, like you say, they make your brain hurt with the improbabilities because I guess one of the times or when he first meets Claire, she's six and I think he's 36 and he just poofs out of the middle of the air. Their relationship is consummated when she's 18. Uh, I won't say anything else because I don't want anything to be major spoilers for anyone who has not read The Time Traveler's Wife. Uh, It jumps around a lot. So I don't know if you can really truly spoil anything because you never know when it's coming or whatever. But so she is just making the point. She makes the point that when they consummate their relationship, she is just turned 18 and he's so much older. So yeah, I would find it hard to just view this as a straightforward love story, I guess, as she learns about him and experiences experiences life, I would think that she definitely becomes more his equal or could possibly become more his equal, but it definitely, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Six years old, 36 years old, and you meet the guy that you're going to be with. It's, it's really (laughs) weird. (laughs) See, I don't see it as creepy at all. I love that it was like, here were these two people that were just drawn to each other and that attraction and maybe the connection, maybe the attraction is the wrong word. Can that connection persists no matter how old they are? So maybe the relationship changes based on how old he is, how old she is, but it's certainly when they're in the ages that one can experience romantic love, that's when they experience romantic love. So, and, and I also think like the creepy nature of it, I mean, I don't remember all of the, matchups the way it worked out in the book. But when he meets her and she's six and he's 36, has he, he's met her already in life. Like he's chronologically 36. And so he knows the older version of her and he's in love with the older version of her. So when he sees her, when she's six, it's not like a pedophile thing where he like wants to have sex with her. It's that he loves her. And now he's just experiencing her at a much different age and has that connection with her. So to me, it's like, I think there's a great love story there. But the thing is, isn't it chronological for her? Like I would have to go back and remember this because if you meet someone and you're going to meet him at different ages, but you first meet him when he's 36. Yeah. I don't know. I would have to read it again. I think when I originally read it, I still, I found it problematic, but so that was our book news. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it is, we're recording this, as you mentioned, February 28th. We're on the edge of spring. 
The days are getting longer. The days are getting warmer. Sadly, the days are getting wetter. And we, there's a lot of good stuff coming up in the next couple months. And I think the publishing world looks a little different than it has in springs past. We're not gearing up for book expo. We're not seeing kind of some of the, the mainstays of the book calendar, but there's still a ton of great stuff coming out. So as Nicole said, we've narrowed it down to about eight books each. We have not seen each other's list, so there may be some overlap here. And uh, in which case it'll be less than eight books each, but uh, it'll be less than 16 books. we usually say you make it 12, you make it 16. Yeah, we don't know. We're not sure. I predict, I'm going to predict maybe one or two, but I always say that and then we don't have it. So it'll be a surprise. We're betting 14. Okay. 14 is the over under. (laughs) All right. So So why don't you... All right, I'll start. I've got mine listed chronologically and... As I mentioned, I snuck in one that is from March 2nd, even though we were really focusing on later in March, but I was excited Dale about this such one. such a rebel. Such a rebel. <laughs> um, so the one that I have, and I believe this is going to be a book of the month pick for March, is called What's Mine and Yours by Naima Koster. And this book gave me some good neighborhood vibes. It is about a community in North Carolina where students from the largely black part of town are being enrolled in a predominantly white high school on the other part of town. And so there's two students that end up coming together as a result of this sort of mixing. And they're coming together then ties their families together over the next 20 years. So it's a sweeping book that Leave, it takes place in North Carolina, but then it ends up moving to other cities, Atlanta, LA, and Paris. And it's really a family drama about these two families and how they interact. So for That's me- giving me passing, not passing, The Travelers by Regina Porter vibes. Yeah, I think that's a good a good comparison. It's I was drawn to this one because it's a family drama, sweeps over the years. There's it looks like there's a lot of issues that get addressed and discussed. And let's see, a sweeping novel of legacy, identity, the American family, and the ways race affects even our most intimate relationships. So this may be my pick. I, there's another one that was catching my eye from the book of the month predictions. I don't know if well, I haven't actually seen it. quickly the book of the month picks because they are up. Oh, they are up. I didn't yeah. realize they were up. You were right. What's mine and and yours is on here. There's a couple of books that I have been eyeing. One is they're billing as fantasy, The Lost Apothecary. So I might get that one. And then Corolla Lovering, Too Good to Be True was something I had noted from somewhere. Yeah, I think that, she you raised some, that on an earlier episode. Right. And I think that one of her books is going to be made into a series. I'm not sure if it's this one. So this might be one of those months where I get like three books because I already have one that I wanted to get. And can I tell you that my, what I'm buying one book a month thing. Oh my God, it's just so gone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're past that. Bought like six books this year. That's very understandable. I tried. I tried. I did. Yeah. What's mine and yours. I, the other one that I was thinking about was that, um, Corolla Lovering. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. Yeah. That was the other one that was catching my eye. So I'll let you know what I pick. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that because maybe we can do some coordinating. Yeah. That would be good. <laughs> can swap you. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what is your first book? Okay. So my first book is Red Widow by Almakatsu. It's coming out March 23rd. She's a repeat author for me. I think I've read all of her books, except for there's one that I didn't read, which is The Deep. So this book is, she is her first spy novel. Uh, When she wrote her first book, she was, she worked on it for 10 years and she was in intelligence at the CIA at the time. So I remember when her first book came out talking to her about how they had to vet her book. I guess they had to vet all of her books at that time. Like, I'm not sure what it's like when you're out of the intelligence agency, but I'm sure 
maybe not for, maybe for normal books, it would be fine. But I think for books that are going to be talking about the intelligence community, I'm sure that it had to be vetted just to make sure that she's not, that there's nothing in there that they would not want her to release. But I really like, I really like spy novels told from women's perspectives or or minority perspectives, whether they're black or they're Asian. Like I really liked The Sympathizer. I really liked American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. So I'm really looking forward to this book. And it's about these women who form a friendship while they're while they're spies. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, and I still have to read The Deep. So once I do that, The Deep was about the Titanic, but she did a supernatural element to this, but this one is just based on women's friendships and how they navigate the intelligence world. So I'm looking forward to being a completist. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. All right. So my next book, we're getting firmly into spring at this point, April 6th, is called The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. Oh, wow. Was that on your list? It was. Boom. Oh my God. <laughs> That's I'm... so exciting. So this is a book about a woman. This is one of those like road not taken books, which I love. So it's by Donna Freitas, F-R-E-I-T-A-S. And this is about, so you've got a couple who's at a crossroads where they can't decide whether they want to have kids or not. And their marriage is like hanging on this one question because he wants kids and she doesn't. And so they, I guess they have a fight about it and their marriage ends because they can't resolve it. But then she starts to, they have the same fight over again, but it has a different result. And so the book is about the nine different paths that can come out of this one juncture. And so it sounds like it's sort of like sliding doors, but exponentially which just sounds fascinating to me. I love this type of like inquiry and this type of exploration. And I don't know, this sounded fascinating. How did it end up on your list? Same reason. The fact that they get into this argument, her husband wants her to take these prenatal vitamins or whatever. Uh, A lot of friends I have are choosing to not, they don't want to have babies. So I think that it's interesting to see what it, to, that she takes all these paths, but also the fact that they got married aligned on the fact that they didn't want to have children. And he changes his mind. So it's almost like she has to change her mind or, and I think with women, there's sort of an expectation that even if you say you don't want to have children, I don't know that people believe you. Oh, you will change your mind or, and sometimes you do. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with going into a marriage, not wanting children and not changing your mind about that. And it looks like she's looking at all of those, those possibilities. Cause I've had friends who have gone into relationships, not wanting to have children and they marry and they've changed their minds and some don't have children and are together. This is one of those books that I think if it like materialized in front of me right now, I would start it. You would just start it. <laughs> yeah. I just, it just sounds so good. <laughs> I think that's going to be our criteria for all of our quarterly previous yeah. shows. Like yeah, if it, if you could hold it in your hand right now with all the things that are going on, anything else that you're reading, would you start to read that? And if that's a yes. Yeah. Or if you just like, the list. Eh, maybe after I finish something else, then it won't make it. Yeah. So that one was on my list as well. Okay. What do you got next? So I have The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Uh-oh. Harris. Really? Down to, down to 14. <laughs> Atria Books. It's coming out in June. And it is about this woman who has a job. She is used to like dealing with microaggressions and whatever that's going on with work. She's the only Black woman who works in this position, but then another woman, another black woman joins at her job. And at first she's really excited because it's like, she has an ally. She has someone to talk to. They talk about their natural hair care regimen. This woman is from Harlem, born and bred. So she's getting another perspective. They're both editorial assistants. So 
I guess through a series of events, this woman, whose name is Hazel, leaves Nella, who is the original editorial assistant in the dust, or she's elevated in the office. And then she starts getting these threatening notes that are telling her that she should leave the company. So she's in this, Nella's in this position where she had gotten on so well with Hazel in the beginning. She's not sure what's going on. Could she really be the one who's leaving her these notes? And it says that she starts to obsess over whether there are other sinister forces at play. And she soon realizes that there's more going on than just her career. Like maybe there's a threat to her life. So it's supposed to be, it's a dynamic thriller, sly social commentary, whip smart. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. Yep. That was on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my next book is a repeat author for me. Potentially I may be a completist of this author. So it's Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. Was that on your list? It's on my list. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. I picked a few extras, thank God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always have to have some backups. So this is a book about two women. The first woman is a pilot and she sort of becomes, this is in the early year, like early first half of the century. So early years of flight. And she decides she wants to learn to fly and she wants to go over the North and South Poles. And then a hundred years later, there's another woman who is an actress who's cast to play the pilot. Pilot's name is Marion and the actress's name is Hadley. And so you have these two women with very, growing up in very different times and having very different dreams and aspirations, but their fates and stories come together through, through this movie. And uh, let's see, the description was, the two women's fates and their hunger for self-determination in vastly different geographies and times collide. Epic and emotional, meticulously researched and gloriously told, Great Circle is a monumental work of art. And I've been a big fan of Maggie Shipstead. She wrote Seating Arrangements. She wrote Astonish Me. I'm trying to remember if there's another one in there that I haven't read, but... No, I think those I were read. the two because I, those I, the two? I looked those up. Okay. And I think so I've read, read Seating Arrangements. I want to read Astonish Me and I want to read this one as well. Yeah. I liked Astonish Me. It's uh, that was that's ballet, a book right? about the ballet world, right? It's funny that I read that book a long time ago, but I still remember it. Like I still, there's little parts of it that I feel like I, I remember it. And I read that one. I did that on audio and I remember the narrator because I've now read, for some reason in the last month, I've listened to a few books by her, that narrator. It's Rebecca Lohman. And I just, it was very memorable to me. So yeah, I love Maggie Shipstead and this sounds really good. So do you think you like Rebecca Lohman enough that if she wrote something, would you, if it was in your wheelhouse, would you listen to it by her? Oh, she narrated it? Yeah. Yeah. I like her. Like I would seek her out her books. Yeah. I seek out her, her narration. I think she, she did the girls from Corona Del Mar. I just finished Landslide by Susan Conley and she narrated that one. She narrated Astonishment. Like I went back a few weeks ago and just looked at all the stuff she's done to remember which ones I've heard by her. And she I, is very, dis, she's a very distinctive delivery. It's, it's almost like an angry delivery. Like she is, I think she, her voice is very well matched with books that have sort of a coldness to them. Like she wouldn't be good for like a romantic comedy. Like she's just. So she can narrate a Lionel Shriver book or something. Yes. Lionel Shriver books about unhappy families, like people upset, like, anything by Rufy Thorpe for sure. Like she just has this, this kind of edge to her. And it's, it's actually, not, it's just it's like a loneliness to her voice. It's hard to describe, but she's just really good. So yeah, I would, I would seek her out. Okay. That was Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead coming out on May 4th. All right. So in a, <laughs> that was, that one gets my vote too. So the next book on my list is Swimming Back to Trout River by Linda Rui Fang. Uh, It's coming out in May on Simon and Schuster. And it is about a woman or it's about a girl. She's 10 years old. Her name is Junie. 
she has been living in a small Chinese village with her grandparents. And her father writes her a letter and he's saying that he's going to come and get her by her 12th birthday. And this is book is set in 1986, just for context. And she is living this life in this beautiful countryside. She loves her grandparents. She doesn't want to go, but her father says that he's going to collect her when she's 12. What she doesn't know is that her parents who are, I think they're each living in the United States, but they have gone through something in their marriage. And even though her father has said he's going to come and get her, he cannot do it until he reunites the family in a sense, because he's estranged from his wife. They're haunted by their years during China's cultural revolution. They're haunted by brutality that has followed them as they try to establish their new life. So he is trying to fulfill his promise to his daughter, and he makes a desperate attempt to try to reunite all members of his family. His daughter is loving living where she is with her grandparents, but this is something that he wants to make happen. And it seems like in order to do so, there has to be like some painful family secrets that come out for him to reach his goal. So that sounds really good. Swimming Back to Trout River by Linda Rui Feng. My next one is called Secrets of Happiness by Joan Silber. And this is a family drama. Surprise, surprise. A man living in New York discovers that his father has had a secret family, another secret family, a wife and two kids that he never knew about. And so he discovers this, that he's a young lawyer living in New York. And this father has the second family who is a Thai wife and two kids living in Queens. And so the book is about the aftermath of this discovery that there are two families and what happens, how his mother reacts, store, focus on what happens to the other family and his two half brothers. And I guess the narrator himself it has a love triangle of his own. So it just sounds like there's a lot going on in this book. It says, a ge- evoking a generous and humane spirit and a story that ranges over three continents, it elucidates the ways people marshal the resources at hand to forge their own forms of joy. Sounds like just a complicated book. And it, maybe it's the type of book that could go lots of different ways. And maybe it might be too much packed in there, but I don't know, it caught my eye and it sounded interesting. So does this like go to the level of if it plopped in front of me right now, would I read it? I would say I would have to read reviews first and know what other people thought of it, but enough that I would give it some thought. All right. So my next book is by Morgan Jerkins. It's her first fiction novel. It's called Call Call Baby. It's coming in April 6th. Now, Morgan Jerkins, I feel like I'm just collecting her books and not have, have not read them yet. Uh, this one's fiction, so it makes it a little different. She's usually writing nonfiction. So I have her book, This Will Be My Undoing. And I was also considering like which format I wanted to read, Wandering in Strange Lands. Because I think she narrates that one, but I'm not sure. So her debut novel focuses on a woman who really wants to have a baby. And this makes me think that we should have a show on motherhood <laughs> because mm. there's so many books about either problematic motherhood or women who want to have children, or it just seems like a very rich topic. So she really wants to have a baby. There's this powerful family who lives in Harlem who has access to a call. And that is a layer of skin that can be born over some babies that has to be cut off. but their belief is that it is imbued with powers. So Layla wants to become a mom and she negotiates a deal with this family in order to get a piece of this magic. But the deal falls through and her baby then is born stillborn. So she is grieving that, but then her niece has a baby and her niece is, she's ambitious. She wants to go to college. And so then she takes on this baby to raise. And then this baby grows up just isolated, living in this brownstone, not allowed to uh, live a fuller life as she notices some of her cousins are able to do. And she wonders why that is and if her mom is really her mom. 
But these families and this, I guess, this fight or these disagreements that have broken out over getting this call have haunted these families and it forces some kind of showdown so that all of these secrets and and grudges come to light and have to be resolved. It's supposed to be engrossing and page turning. It's about the power of tradition and the dark corners of the human heart. That was not on my list. (laughs) And I'm going to predict that the next one is not on your list because it's very much up my alley. Okay, so mine is a memoir. It is called Brat, an 80s story by Andrew McCarthy. It is not on my list. I have a feeling it would not be. So this is the memoir by Andrew McCarthy, also known as the beloved actor from Pretty in Pink, St. Almost Fire, Weekend at Bernie's, member of the Brat Pack. I'm a big fan of the 80s, as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows. And I love Andrew McCarthy. We actually share a birthday, which is really exciting. Not the year, but the date. And I, I just, I've always been a big fan of his. I actually went and heard him read. He wrote a, a YA book a couple years ago, which I went to go hear him read because how could I not? It's Andrew McCarthy. I haven't read it, but it, I, I want to read it. And he's since becoming an actor, like he launched the second career as a travel writer and has done a lot of travel journalism and he gets like great reviews for his writing. Like people say he's an excellent writer. So I went to hear him read. It was very exciting. It weren't, there weren't that many people there. I remember I walked into the bookstore right behind him. Like he actually like held the door for me and I was like, Oh my God, that was him. That was Andrew McCarthy. It's very <laughs> exciting. Uh, so this is a memoir about his life and acting and the eighties and all of that. And I will definitely read this and I will hopefully do this on audio so I can hear him read it. And this makes my list like immediately. If this dropped in front of me in audio, I would probably stop whatever I was listening to and pick this one up. Would you tell your husband he had to cook dinner or order takeout? <laughs> I would probably do listen to it while I was cooking dinner. Okay. <laughs> I would, this would be one of those in the shower, cooking, walking the dog audiobooks. And I don't yeah, think it's very, to very fast then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that is Brat by Andrew McCarthy, and it comes out on May 11th. So my next book is called A Sunday in Ville de Vry by Dominique Barbary. Uh, it is translated from French by John Cullen. And this is a book that came to the front of my mind just because I feel like I finished something that was similar that I really liked, which was... Indelicacy by Amina Kane, which was one of those books that was simultaneously about nothing but about a lot. So this one is about two sisters who live in a small French village and they meet to discuss their lives. They both grew up in this detached house and they have memories of living in their idyllic countryside They both really like Jane Eyre. They're both obsessed a little bit with the idea of Jane Eyre and that kind of love. But anyway, they meet to catch up. Claire Marie tells her sister that she has met this man and had an encounter with this man. And that is just so out of the ordinary for her sister, this revelation that she makes. When she meets this man, they go to different places that are not the countryside. She's in these train stations and there's this danger that she's never encountered because she's grown up with this idyllic life. And it is all about how this relationship, you know, is going to threaten her existence in her calm, lovely Paris suburb. So it says it explores the great depths of the human soul, troubled like the waters of the pond. Like, I don't know about <laughs> about that last sentence there, but I'm yeah. curious. Hmm. I'll let you uh I'll let you feel this one out. Right. If I if I if it dropped down in front of me, I'd definitely be interested. But like you said about your previous book, maybe it's not quite quite at that level, but it's it's really intriguing. Yeah. That needs a, someone's endorsement to. It's seven nineteen sixty two. Hmm. Okay. 
All right. My next book is, of course, the new Jhumpa Lahiri book. I love Jhumpa Lahiri. That was on my list. Knew it was going to be on Gail's list. Yes, that's that's a no-brainer for me. Although I got to be honest with you, the description of this is not like making me jump for joy. It made, um, it, you know what? It, sound, it reminded me of like the Amina Kane book. I said, nothing happens, but it's really intense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is uh, a book about a woman living in France, I think, or Italy. No, living in Italy because she wrote this book in Italian. So Jupiter Harry like basically like taught herself Italian and is now writing in Italian. So and this then book is translated. Book. Right. This is now translated to English from Italian, even though she is a native English speaker. And doesn't that just give you hope for all kinds of things in life that I could just, I don't know, go someplace, learn a different language and then translate stuff that I've written? So funny. That was so not my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I was like, oh, this book sounds good. I I didn't think like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could. I said hope. (laughs) Oh, I hope that there is like inspiration in life. Right. I can just do whatever. Yeah. Or just to learn another language. I do want that. I don't know about writing a novel and then translating it. I think if I wrote a novel in English, consider me accomplished. Yeah. I'd like to write a novel. I don't know if I'd want to write it in another language. That sounds a little ambitious. Okay. So this is about this woman. She's living in Italy. She's wandering through the days. We follow her to her daily routine. There's a pool she goes to, the train station that she takes to visit her mother. Uh, She sees people, girlfriends, guy friends, a random guy, not a random guy, a guy who doesn't really sort of, he's sort of undefined in her life but it's about how she's transformed. So this is like, it seems like you said, intense, but nothing really happens. You're just following this woman through her day. But Jhumpa Lahiri is such a good writer that I'm willing to give this a try, even though the description to me doesn't sound that appealing. I read like, I don't know. It reminds me of like to the lighthouse, not to the lighthouse. That is so funny you said that. I was just going to say it reminded me of Virginia Woolf. That's really funny. Yeah. It does remind me of Mrs. Dalloway and maybe even a little bit of To the Lighthouse because To the Lighthouse, you don't have like a intense story, but it's like what's happening in the day. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's just as I was describing this, I was thinking it felt, it seemed like Virginia Woolf. One of the reviews I read said that if you like people watching that, you'll like this book. (laughs) So that sounded appealing. I like people watching. Yeah. I love people watching. That's why we think we love to read. So... I do really like Jhumpa Lahiri. And so this would definitely make the list. So it's called Whereabouts and it comes out in in June 1st, same day as the other black girl. I have one more book and then I have a book that I have read about, but I literally can't find out almost anything about it, but I wanted to mention it. What book is that? Well, when we get to it, I'll tell you. <laughs> She's going to make me wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is it, it's Michael? Mm-hmm. I'm so lost. So this is my only nonfiction that I'm going to mention, but it just was so fascinating that I just, if it dropped into my lap, I would include it. It's called As a Woman, What I Learned About Power, Sex, and the Patriarchy After I Transitioned by Paula Stone Williams. This woman was used to be a father of three. And he was married to what he says a wonderful woman. He held prominent jobs in a Christian community, but then he made the life-changing decision to transition from male to female when she was 60. So almost instantly, everything about her life and her influence in the evangelical world disappeared. Her family had to grapple with the sense of loss and confusion. She felt utterly alone. She began to notice how things that normally would that normally she would have been able to advance as a man, uh, comments that she made that would have been listened to and amplified, none of that happened when she became a woman. So this book is all about the differences, and I guess that's what makes it so attractive, because to know the first person, from the first person, the differences between what you gave up when you decide that you don't want to continue being someone who you don't feel that you are. You're embracing your identity or embracing an identity that's you, but then you make that transition to someone who has less power. Um, So it seems like it's a loss. 
And what does it feel like when you've always had that power? I guess it be alienating. That is so interesting. I knew that this was one. I knew that this was a book that if it dropped out of the sky, I would probably start listening to this before I listen to anything else, just because to have that inside experience. And I think for someone who's not a celebrity, because we saw Caitlyn Jenner transition, I think there's a lot that probably went into that. But because she was a celebrity and also a celebrity who used to be a man who was also a gymnast, to have a story of someone who was privileged but not privileged in a way that I think their coming out was as protected as Caitlyn Jenner's to get that inside experience. That does sound very interesting. When is it coming out? June 1st. Okay. So I have one left and this is strange. Everything about this sounds sort of strange, but well, not strange. Just a weird title. The book is called The Very Nice Box. <laughs> it's written, looks like it's written by two people, Eve Gleichman and Laura Blackett. And it's just sort of, okay, I'm going to have to just read the description because there's no way I can possibly sum this up. Okay. So it's about a woman named Ava who designed storage boxes for a furniture company, a slick Brooklyn-based furniture company. She's hardworking, obsessive, and heartbroken from a tragedy that killed her girlfriend and upended her life. And I don't know whether girlfriend is romantic girlfriend or just friend girlfriend. And she has a new boss who offers her a ride home one day, and then an unlikely relationship blossoms between them. And it sounds like they become romantically involved. So I'm going to guess that the tragedy was maybe just a friend. But he isn't who he claims to be, and the romance takes a sharp turn. So this is called a very a funny, suspenseful debut with a shocking twist. It's at once a send-up of male entitlement and a big-hearted account of grief, friendship, and trust. So to me, it has both like Me Too in it and workplace drama. Some people say Shades of Eleanor Oliphant. So I don't know whether that means that our protagonist is on the autism spectrum. I'm, I'm guessing that just from that one reference that I read about it. But I don't know, just sounds kind of like there was enough here that it caught my attention. Right. So this comes out on June 8th. All right. So I have a couple more books, I think, because I had 10 on my list so that I would have a few to add in. And one I was super excited about, I almost led the show talking about it, is Revival Season by Monica West. So it comes out on June 15th and it is from Simon & Schuster, Simon & Schuster imprint. So it is about a 15-year-old and her family, her father's a preacher, they pack themselves tightly into their minivan and they travel through small towns, small Southern towns for revival season. Like I was really interested to read this book because I just remember spending summers uh, it, with my family in Alabama, like rural Alabama. And there some, at some point during the summer, I don't know if it was every year or maybe every other summer, uh, revival would happen, which would you typically, typically be a week. It would sometimes be held in like this big tent or whatever. And it's just where people just go on this drive in order to bring people into the faith. So her father is a famous Baptist church and she discovers that she has healing powers, which does not jive with what her father puts forth. I, I think he, there's something about he does not believe that women can do anything like that in terms of healing. So she has this secret that she has to keep from her family and from the church because this is not a power that women are supposed to have access to. So once Miriam discovers that she has these powers, then she is faced with a decision. Like, is she going to use her power to heal? How is it going to affect her being a part of, the, of her family, a part of her faith? What would happen to her if her father discovers the secret? So what is she going to do? So it's a story of spiritual awakening and disillusionment in a Southern Black evangel evangelical community. And of course, she's 15, so it's like a coming-of-age novel. And I really like the cover. 
that sometimes it's all it takes. Okay. So, oh my God. So one of the books I wanted to talk about, which was supposedly coming out in June, Mm -hmm. I just looked at, it looks like it is now according to Amazon to as of today, which is different from the last time I looked at this, which was earlier this week, now coming out in January of next year. Ooh. I think. Looks like they moved it. So that book was going to be Long Island Compromise by Taffy Brodesser Ackner, who wrote Fleischman is in trouble. So it's going to be highly anticipated because Fleischman was such a big hit. And it's about a wealthy businessman in Long Island who is kidnapped, and it's a novel, and held for ransom, and how they move on from this this thing that happened to the father. So it sounds awesome. Sounds Spans like an inter- easier premise than her last book. Yeah probably easier to sell, spans the entirety of one family's history, winding through decades and generations all the way through to the wild present and deals with all the mainstays of American Jewish life, tradition, the pursuit of success, the fear of history, on and on. But it's not now coming out until January. So I, we shouldn't, I shouldn't even say one more word about it. Well, besides, <laughs> it sounds good. I know. <laughs> Enjoy the wait. So next winter, we'll be talking about this book. That's so funny because it just reminds me that as I was looking through things that were coming out in the spring, it looks like Becoming is finally coming out in paperback. And then so is the Delia Owens novel. Mm, where the crowd sings. sings. Yeah. Those are finally oh, making their way into paperback, I, I believe, in March after, I don't know, probably a couple of years at least that it's been that we first heard about when they first came out in paperback. Right. And uh, Michelle Obama actually has a series called Becoming. I think that was about the tour, the book tour that she went on that's on Netflix. And Reese Witherspoon is developing Where the Crawdad Sings. Is it going to be a series or a movie? I don't remember. But she's developing it for something. All right. So the last book that I had on my list, and then I just want to mention one very quickly, just because there's going to be a Julia Roberts movie. And it's an author, I think, that we've both read. Laura Day wrote a book. So I said two things at once. So let me get to my final book is a book by an author that I've read before. This is her second novel, Christine Mangan. She wrote Tangerine, which I really loved, which was set in Morocco. Yes. So her new novel is coming out June 1st, and it's called Palace of the Drowned. And she writes these novels that usually are about complex relationships between female friends. Either there used to be a friendship or there is a burgeoning friendship, but there is an element of the thriller about it or just what's really going on here. So this one is set in Venice in 1966. An author who is has basically had a breakdown decides to go to Venice to get away. Her latest novel hasn't done well. She's not handling it all. So she just decides to go and just, you know, just try to recover herself, to recharge. She wants to get re-inspired and she takes her friend's palazzo in Venice that she's not using. So a young admirer starts showing up and is trying to befriend her and is like trying to get into her life because this woman has come to just recover and be by herself. So she is trying to insinuate herself into her life. But the author starts to wonder like, you know, why is she here? Is she telling the truth? And the book is also set against the 1966 flooding of Venice. The line is, the encounters between these two women will lead to a series of lies and revelations that will tragically disrupt both of their lives. So it's a literary thriller. Uh, Did you have a category? Is it a category in your reading challenge where you say a blend? Mm -mm. No, that must be the pop sugar one. So this might be for that, where you have a a literary blend, like literary and thriller, like a genre mix. Uh, All right. Well, we only had two overlaps. Two and a half, if you count. Two and a half. Uh, Oh yeah, of course we count Junpa. 
there was a lot of stuff. I still have lots of stuff on my list. So I will look forward to mentioning these books as, as we, as we meet and we talk about books. Sounds good. All right. Well, that is our spring preview and we'll have links to all these books on the blog. So, uh, in the show notes for the show. So if you want to check any of them out, pre-order, add them to your TBR, get on your library wait list. Uh, we'll have links to all of them there. Do all the things. Do all the things. All right. Well, until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thank you.